on our prayer nights, which are Thursdays, uh, alternating Thursdays uh, at 7 p.m. here at the chapel, we get together and we just pray. You know, there's no real big agenda other than just praying to the Lord. Um, a few weeks ago, ben, now Ben and Jen generally uh, host that and lead that. Um, but this past Thursday, they weren't able to. And we were just going to cancel it for the month. And I thought, well, you know, let's just keep the continuity going. I'll go. Now, I normally don't go. Not because I don't believe in prayer or anything like that. Um, usually my wife comes, so I stay home with the kids. Um, so I'm like, oh, so I come in and, uh, you know, I hadn't been to prayer in a while and uh, began to pray. And I did, um, I always believe in reading the word when you pray. Like, it should lead you as you pray. And so I, I didn't know what Bible verse to read. You ever have that problem? You're just like, I want to read something, but I don't want to read anything. Like, I want to read what the Lord wants me to read. So I did what I and my wife have um, uh, called is Bible fortune cookie. You ever play Bible fortune cookie? I'll show you how Bible fortune cookie works. It's real simple. Take your Bible and you open it. And then you just read wherever you land. It's not, it's not the thing I want to endorse completely. But when you're stuck and you're like, I've read this over and over again, and you know, I don't know where to go, you know, just open the word and start reading and see where the Lord leads you. For me, this is the, the verse that the Lord brought to me that night. I believe it was not just by chance I ran into this verse. Um, turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And we are going to read the same uh, scripture that the Lord led me to on Thursday as I was praying for the church and, and you guys here and the things that I've got going on. I don't know why I have that. I have it in my notes here. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, begins a parable by Jesus to his disciples. Um, during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, instead of just coming out and saying, hey, don't sin, hey, the kingdom of God is big and good, hey, you need to be saved, he would give parables. He would use things that were temporal or temporary. They had a, a, an end date to them to help us understand things that were infinite. You know, we as a, we as people, we're we are flesh and bone. We're 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 created, and so to understand the things of God takes something miraculous to happen. It takes the Holy Spirit coming alive in us. Prior to that Holy Spirit coming alive moment. Um, you know, God seems far off and distant. Um, you know, we don't kind of understand what the word says. And in this time when Jesus is preaching and teaching, he's got a twofold reason for preaching in parables. He's, he's making the people think, but he's also, I, and I forget where the scripture is, but he talks about how uh, folks will hear, but they end up not listening. They, they, they just want to be force-fed the truth, and even when they are, uh, they still turn on it. The Pharisees, time and time again, Jesus told them what they were to do, and they just wouldn't believe him. He healed a man once of being blind, and they kept asking the blind man, well, how, how is it that you can see? And they just refused to believe that God became flesh, that, that he came to dwell amongst men, and that he had this power to bring life into death. No, no, there, there had to be another way. There had to be another reason. They just refused to believe. And so many times Jesus would teach in these parables. And for those that he was calling, it would, it would intrigue them. They'd be like, well, what do you mean by this? What he told a parable once about the seed planted on four different soils. And when, when he was done, the, the disciples were like, what did you mean by that? They drew closer to Jesus as a result of these parables. 
So if you've ever wondered why the Lord was not just direct and just told you point blank what to do, oftentimes he uses this type of teaching to draw us closer, to get our mind working, to help us understand something infinite when we ourselves have very finite, limited minds. So he uses a parable about an unrighteous judge and a widow. And it's an amazing parable that so often is, it's a scripture that's abused and misused and mistaught so often. It's, it is almost embarrassing how often it's misused. Um, usually by good mean, well-meaning good people who, who just kind of don't spend enough time studying and in prayer, they just kind of miss the point. I can tell you that for years, there was a key verse in here that's just right there, and I missed it for years. So we're going to kind of go through this. We'll read it, and then we will uh, talk about not losing heart, which is our sermon title today. So Luke 18 and 1 says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And that last verse there is very haunting to me. Uh, it's not something I take lightly. I want us to pray now. And we'll go right into the message. Jesus, your word says point blank from the lips of your Son, will you find faith on the earth? And all I can say is, Lord, I pray that you do. I'm not here to, to talk a big game about my faith, Lord. Um, my faith needs your help each and every day. As much as I know that you are the Son of God, we need your help to increase our faith, to help our unbelief. So we pray for that, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glory and the wonder and the goodness of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a parable uh, in this chapter of Luke and in various parts of the Gospels, there are tons of parables. I mentioned the one with the seed and the soil. Jesus would use things like farms and uh, you know, rulers and managers, and he would just use temporal things that we all understand. And we'd be like, oh, okay, I kind of get where, where, how the kingdom of God works now. You know, I know, I know uh, how a mustard seed grows into a huge plant and how God sacrificed seemingly uh, just one man. But that sacrifice, you know, it just it, it's enough for everybody. You know, I see how God's word is planted into my heart and bears much fruit. If my heart is right, if it's hard, it just kind of gets picked at by, by Satan. And that, that word that's so powerful is just plucked away from my heart. Um, Jesus talked about the, wheats and, the wheat and the tares. Uh, you know, the wheat, the good crop you want growing up and, and, and weeds growing amongst it. And so if you've ever done any kind of, of gardening, you kind of get an idea. Okay, I see where the Lord's going with this. Weeds. But weeds are the worst. They just show up, and they got to be pulled out, and you got to get them out entirely. Or they're just going to affect your crop. They're going to, and sin is like that. And 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 folks who are preaching a, a false message, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, they they infiltrate at times and try to destroy us, the wheat, and and just change us from following the gospel to following uh, anything else. And so a parable is meant to show us 
something infinite that we wouldn't be able to grasp immediately um, through something that we can. You know, if you've ever had to teach a child something, and you had to you have to change how you're teaching them so that they can understand it. You know, they don't know the big words that you know, so you've got to you've got to change and get down to their level so that you can convey to them the message. That's sort of what the Lord has done to us through parables. Where this parable goes wrong most often uh, is in this scenario, people take the character of the unrighteous judge and say, well, that's God, and we're the widow, and if we want something, we just got to pester God long enough, and then he'll give us what we want. Because, see, the unrighteous judge eventually gave this widow what she wanted, and so if we just keep, if we just keep telling the Lord, please give us this, give us that, persistence is the key here, then you'll get what you want. And I'm not here to throw everybody under the bus. Sometimes it's it's somebody with cancer that you want healed. Sometimes it's it's you're broke and you need money because you got to make your house payment or your car keeps breaking down. You've got legitimate concerns and needs that that only the Lord can fulfill. And then someone comes and tells you, "Well, just be persistent. Just keep badgering God." Now they don't use that word. They'll they'll use a more Christianese type word. But basically what they're saying is badger God until he gets so fed up with you, he says, here, take it, leave me alone. And that's not God. Jesus, when he talks about God the Father, he talks about him in endearing terms. If Jesus was teaching us that God the Father was an unrighteous judge or like the unrighteous judge, it would completely con contradict everything else he had taught us about his Father. We are taught that the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. I don't believe that Jesus, in teaching his disciples, would ever compare his Father, who is the righteous judge, to an unrighteous judge. One who did not respect man or, or, or fear God. The widow, the character in this, in this, the second character in this parable, um, as Christians, we're called to help widows, uh, widows and orphans. Widows and orphans meaning folks who don't have a husband or a, if you're talking about a widow, no husband or children, just by themselves, left alone. We as a church help these ladies out. Um, some of these ladies can take care of themselves, but we're still called to help them out from time to time. And then you have orphans. They're generally, they could have a mom. Single moms kind of fall into this category. But for the most part, it's the absence of a dad or the absence of a husband that we are called to help. Um, it's not that men are better than women. It's that we play a pivotal role in the kingdom that God has created and in the, in the, in the families that God makes. And it's very important to have a man who steps up, who takes care of his family by being led by Jesus and submitting to him first and foremost. You want to be a good dad or husband? Give your life to Jesus and submit to him daily. Nothing will make you a better dad or a better husband quicker than just falling at the knees of Jesus and saying, man, I need your help to do this. I can't do this. And this widow is somebody that this judge should have helped right away, but did not. The unrighteous judge, though, he doesn't care. He has, this widow can do nothing for him. He's what you would call corrupt, probably. Meaning, Maybe if this lady had money or status, something he could gain by helping her, he probably would have helped her a lot quicker. 
But she's a widow. She's got nothing. She's got nobody to back her up. She's got nobody to take care of her. And if he refuses to help her, no one's going to fight for her. You know, a husband or a, or a son or an uncle or, or so, parents not going to show up and say, hey, why aren't you helping my daughter or my wife? No, she's got nobody. So if he just refuses her, she goes away and he doesn't have to deal with it anymore. See, this is why I believe that we get it wrong when we, when we read this and think that God is this unrighteous judge in this scenario, in this parable. Because that's completely, un that's the opposite of what God the Father's like. Matthew 7 and 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, and he's talking to dads now, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, you know, sometimes Jesus just doesn't beat around the bush. He just kind of talks to us like we are know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I bring that verse into this to show you the continuity of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not comparing the everlasting Father to an unrighteous judge and saying that's what the unrighteous judge is like, that's what God the Father is like, just badger him, he'll give you what you want. What he's doing is using a contrast. In the same way where he said, you know, you earthly fathers... Though you're evil, you know, though you're born in sin, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, all, all us dads around here, we know what that's like. You know, we're not perfect. We realize we're sinners. At the same time, even in the midst of that, we love our children and we know the good gifts we want to give to them. Good gifts they enjoy and good gifts that they need. You know, you serve them broccoli. It's a good gift. I mean, not for the kid. They're going to hate it. And they're going to refuse to eat it. But you know that's good for them. You know, you can't just give them birthday cake all day long. Eventually, they got to eat something green. And so you give that to them. It's a good gift. Sometimes you just take them to the store and you let them buy a toy. Like, here, here's five bucks. Go buy something. And then they come back and say, that's not enough to buy anything in this store. We need more. And, oh, okay, i got to get a better job. Um, but we just – why are we doing that? Out of obligation? Do we owe them anything? No, we just love them. I, want, I want to show you how much love I have for you by giving to you. And like I mentioned before, Jesus shows, or God shows us so much love through the giving of his son, his only begotten son, whom he loves, the word says. If we go down the road of badgering God until he gives us what we want and call that a theology, um, an understanding of who God is, uh, then let's just put it this way. If we saw a child badger a parent till they got what they wanted, we would step back and go, you know what? That child is spoiled. That child needs boundaries. That child needs to be told no every now and again. That child, the good gift they could be given right in that moment is the no. But then we read this and we go down the road and we think, oh, this is, this is a good theology. No, it's a bad theology, and I would, I would just encourage you, if that's how you've understood this scripture today, to just go back into prayer with the Lord, talk to him about it, read the verse, read it in context, and um, consider a new theology. Okay. That being said, Jesus, here's the part that I missed for years in this parable, because I, I was the one that went down the path of, well, just badger God and get what you want. 
Be persistent. Keep praying over and over again. You'll eventually get what you want. Verse 1 says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what's this verse about? What's this parable about? It's right there. It's in verse 1. It's to not lose heart. That we ought to pray. We should keep going, but not for the purpose of just getting something we want. We ought to keep praying so that we do not lose heart. And here's what I love about Jesus. This is what makes Jesus so different than every other uh, so-called God on our planet. Every other thing that is worshipped, every other person that's exalted. Here's what makes Jesus so different. Because he walks or he walked in the form of man as we do, he understands us and our proclivities. Those things we tend to do just by nature. He knows we're going to lose heart. He knows that we're going to, this word literally means faint and grow weary. Galatians chapter 6, Paul tells us to keep doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. It's the same Greek word. Not to lose heart. Why? Because we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep doing good stuff and we're not going to see the fruit of it immediately and we're going to want to give up, right? Do you know how many times over the past three years praying for Pastor Saeed, I laid there at night just going, it's never going to happen. He's going to die in that prison cell. The Lord could, it, could open those doors now, and he hasn't, and I just wanted to give up. And there were moments where, where there was no big you know, um, reconciliation where I'm like, well, you know, but God, I just go to bed like that. That's just how it's going to be. This poor woman's going to be a widow, and these kids are going to be orphaned, and and... And I just wanted to give up. Maybe you've helped somebody time and time again. You're doing what is right, but you're seeing what you're doing is not amounting to anything else. You even think they're taking advantage of you. You might even be enabling them. And the word says, don't grow weary. Don't give up. It goes back to the whole timing thing that we just don't understand. Why won't God do it now? You know, that's the that's the five-year-old in us, the five-year-old spiritual kid. Why well, want to do it now? I want this now. I want that now. Because well, that's bad. Here, I, I, the Lord has this great ability to refine us and shape us and mold us through these tragedies in our lives. You know, why was Pastor Saeed in jail for three years for a crime he never even committed because he was just starting a, a church, or excuse me, a state sanctioned orphanage then he's arrested one day i guarantee you this the lord will do something with that he has a purpose for that what about your trials i guarantee you the lord will use what you are going through to convict you of sin to bring you to repentance to experience his grace to know him as much as he is to be known this side of heaven Philippians 2 and 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knows because he has taken on flesh. And though he has taken on flesh, he did not sin. That's what makes him different than us. We have. But Hebrews 4 says that, well, Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews uses the imagery of a high priest. And we don't have a high priest, right? We don't, we don't follow the, the temple worship of the Old Testament. We, we have the church and we have you know, pastors. And that's, that's for the most part where our leadership starts and ends. You know, we'll have evangelists and that sort of thing. But um, no high priest. And so in temple worship, you would have a high priest who uh, probably came from the, the family branch of the Levites, uh, from the son of Levi. They were the ones given the charge to take care of the temple and to make sacrifice and that sort of thing. And, and periodically they would have a new high priest. And that high priest, um, A, was in charge, and B, he would make certain sacrifices nobody else could. Um, as a result, uh, you find the Pharisees in, in Jesus' time, you know, they live a very distant life from the common people. You know, those who are not involved in, in the everyday temple worship. I mean, these men lived and breathed in the temple. You know, their, their life didn't go too far outside of that. They were continuously working. It created a person out of touch with everybody else. The Bible says Jesus is a high priest completely different than that. He's a high priest that knows our problems. He's not elite or far away from our problems. He walked in and amongst us. You know, whenever I see a leader who kind of separates themselves from the rest of the church, it's usually a warning sign to me. Jesus never did that. Oh, he'd take time to go and pray by himself, but he was always in and amongst everybody. You know, whether it was the tax collector and the prostitute and the sinner, or it was the Pharisees and, and the scribes who were sinners as well. He was always in and amongst everybody, never too good for anybody, never, well, I can't be amongst you, you're dirty. He was just always ministering to everybody he could. And kudos to Jesus because sometimes that's hard for us. You know, we like ministering to the people we like, but then we get to folks that, like, oh, they rub us the wrong way or whatever, and you're like, I don't want to minister to them, but that's what Jesus would have done, so we do our best to do that. But the point of all this is that we're going to want to lose heart, and some of you have gone through some things, and you've already lost heart because of it. God hasn't answered my prayers. I'll just lose heart. I'll just give up on that. You know, sometimes we do go down, you start asking for something or praying for something. You know, it's just not for us. You know, David, King David was a man who wanted to build the temple of God. It was the desire of his heart. He wanted to do that. But eventually God told him, no, you're a man of, you know, who has shed blood. You're a warrior. Not for you to do. It's going to get done, but not by you. Good heart, but I have other plans. Your son's going to build it. And so sometimes there's a no that we just have to adhere to and say, okay, you said no, Lord. I'm okay with that. No, David was content. Okay, if I can't build the temple, I'll just get all the supplies for it. So when Solomon comes time to build it, he'll have everything he needs. But there are times where we do need to keep praying. And, and here's where the problem comes in. We, we sometimes fall underneath this, this uh, idea that if we're just like the duration and the persistence of our prayer is what brings the answer. And I don't think that was the purpose of the scripture. I believe what the Lord is calling us to is this closeness to him. 
this desire to be with him. We don't lose heart, not because we just keep praying a lot, but because we're praying to the Lord, our relationship with him is growing. Remember, the purpose of a parable was to teach us and to intrigue us and to captivate us and to grab hold of us so that we come back to the Lord. Well, what do you mean by that? Asking questions is one of the greatest ways, if not the greatest way, to get to know somebody. Where did you go to school? What do you do for a living? What are your hobbies? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite TV show? Have you ever watched this? Have you ever watched that? What, you know, where'd you go to college? You know, what's, what's your favorite sports team? You know, what, that's how you get to know people. You know, are, you, are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Like, who are you? And somebody says, you know, I like coffee. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, how do you like your coffee? Black or cream and sugar? Like, you like stuff you can only buy at Starbucks? Well, I like, you know, cream and sugar. Hey, me too. And, and, and as soon as you, it's like you guys are best friends all of a sudden. Like, wow, we, we have this thing in common. We know each other now, or we're knowing each other better. You know, and usually we find a spouse who, you know, a lot of those things are like the same. Wow, you know, we like all these things together, and we don't kill each other. Yay, let's, let's get married, and let's just live the rest of our lives together. At least that's how Sarah and I kind of do things. You don't lose heart because you get to know the Lord. There are times where things happen in my life, and while they might take me by surprise because I wasn't expecting them, I step back and go, okay, I know that this is consistent with what the Lord does to refine me. And so while I'm surprised at, at it happening right now, I'm not surprised, as Peter says, I believe in 1 Peter, that we're not surprised that we're going through trials and tribulations of various kinds. We just know that that happens, that God uses those to change us. And so then, like James says in chapter 1, we can count it all joy when we go through sufferings and trials of many kinds. You know, we can, we can, we can step back and say, you know what, this is not cool right now, but God's going to produce something out of it. This, this that I'm going to go through is going to stretch me and bring pain, but at the end of it all, I'm going to be stronger because of the Lord. I never would have cho chosen this path for myself, and I might even have uh, afterwards still wish it hadn't happened that way, but I know what the Lord is going to do. He's going to use this for his glory and for my good. Otherwise, Romans 8 and 28 is a lie. And it is not. It is good. It is a great verse. Hebrews 4 and 14 says, Since, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Prayer is a command. There are all kinds of prayers in the Bible. I'm not what you would consider a prayer warrior. Okay, I don't, I don't have that in me. Um, I know the importance of prayer, and I do pray. But I'm not a person who can simply pray for extended periods of time. I run out of stuff to say. Have you ever been with somebody, a person, and you've run out of things to say? It gets awkward, like real fast. You talk about the weather, and you talk about these, you know, very vanilla things that aren't going to make anybody mad. And then when you're done, you're like, well, you know, so 
what kind of shoes are those? Like, you just don't even know what to say anymore. You get to the Lord. I get to the Lord, and I'm, I'm done praying. I'm like, I, so how are you today? Like, I, what else am I going to say now? So I'm not one of those people. If you're not one of those people, um, that's okay. If you are a prayer warrior, praise God you're picking up the slack for the rest of us. That you are indeed going before the Lord. And I'm not at all mocking you. What I'm saying is I respect that because I don't have it in me. But I praise God that he puts us together like puzzle pieces where we do have prayer warriors. We have folks who, whose prayer life doesn't you know, look explosive or anything, but we're still diligent. Because prayer is more than just a good idea. It's a command of the Lord to do so. And prayer looks like all kinds of different things in the Bible. You have Nehemiah. He prays. He doesn't even utter a word. He prays internally as he's uh, addressed by the king uh, as to why his face is so downtrodden. Why do you look so sad, Nehemiah? And he's got like a split second to just pray to the Lord, oh no, this could be the end of my life. I'm looking sad in the presence of the king. That's a, that's a uh, you know, I could lose my life because of that. He prays internally, real quick prayer, and then lets the king know that his hometown has been destroyed and he wants to rebuild it. You see, Mary, when, she, when she's told that she's going to have a child and... And she's going to have more than just a child. The Son of God is going to be born in her. She sings a song. Like she starts, I'm just going to write a song because I'm so exuberant about what the Lord is going to do in my life. David, he wrote psalms. He wrote poems. He, he got poetic about the things he was going through. Sat down and wrote, you know, on a whatever, on a scroll or something. He just wrote down, you know, you know things like Psalm 23. You know, things about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He got very poetic in his prayers to the Lord. You see short prayers and long prayers and prayers where people are standing, prayers where people are not standing, and you just see all kinds of variety when it comes to praying. You see Jesus asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. And he says, you know, uh, he says the, the Lord's Prayer. And it clocks in at something like 35 seconds if you read it through quickly enough. Not this big, long, drawn-out prayer. The point is not the duration and not even really the quality. It's whether you're doing it or not. That in and of itself will cause you to draw faster to the, uh, draw closer to the Lord faster than almost anything else. When you're losing heart and you don't want to pray, pray twice. When you feel like, you know what, I'm giving up. Let that be a warning sign. Oh, I'm losing heart. I need to pray more. Not because my prayers are going to make anything happen, but because I'm falling away from what the Lord has called me to do. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 says, Rejoice always. It's a command, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That's a big command. Pray without stopping. Don't stop praying. What happens is you begin to have this lifestyle of communication with the Lord. It's not that you're always on your knees in your prayer closet, you know, 24 hours a day. If you can do that, praise God, go for it. But some of us have jobs and kids and responsibilities and Netflix is a thing. I mean, there's just always things that, that you're doing. And so you have to have times where, as we talked about last week, you go into these desolate places and you pray. I mean, that's why you're going there. Thursday nights, South Bay Chapel becomes a desolate, a quiet place where a sanctuary will come, and that's our only purpose is to pray. But when you're cooking, you can be praying to the Lord. When you're, when you're reading, you're praying to the Lord. When you're playing with your kids, you're still praying to the Lord. You're still communi- He's like the other person in the room that you're conversing to, 
um, and he's always present with you. And it becomes less awkward of a relationship when you get to know him. When you start to know what he's like and what he expects of you through his word. Hope and faith drive a healthy prayer life. If we have lost hope, if our faith is struggling, our prayer life will reflect that. Now don't, I, I didn't come and say, if you're not a prayer warrior, you're missing the mark. That's not what I said. If you don't pray for you know, 45 minutes a day at a certain time, you're not doing it right. That's, that's, that's missing the whole point of today's message. The point of today's message is to pray. And if you can pray five minutes in the morning, that's amazing. If you take your break from work and you, you read the word and then you pray for your coworkers or for your family, that's awesome. If you take a half hour of your day and you do go into your prayer closet and you do shut out the rest of the world and you just read God's word and just let it minister to you, that's amazing too. If your prayer is internal or if you say it out loud, if you pray by yourself or you pray with other people, the point is to keep praying and not lose heart, to not give up, to not allow the temporal things of this world, the temporary things that we are going through, to not let them suffocate the life that God has for you through prayer. For some of you, maybe you're hearing this message going, you know what, Pastor Tony, I just pray all the time, and I get it, and I'm doing it, and praise God for you. You know, you're probably the type of people who keep my family going through your prayers, and I super appreciate that. But for the rest of us, where prayer is a struggle, where it doesn't just come naturally, it doesn't just flow out of you. You're always trying to use the King James English for some reason, and and it's just it's it's seemingly awkward. Um, what we can do is sort of just scrape everything away and start over. There are so many times where I just go to the Lord and say, Lord, you're the best. I've got a lot of foofy words to use. I'm not gonna it, to me that's that's the sentiment of my heart. You were. You know, that would be the equivalent of somebody saying, like, you're my all in all, or you're above all the things, and for me, you're the best. To me, what I'm saying to the Lord is, you are my everything. And maybe you, you are okay with saying that. I don't want to sound like you. I'm just going to use the voice that God gave me. Not because it's the best, it's just the one I got. And so if you want to use the King James English and say thee and thou, and come thou fount and things like that, I mean... Praise God. Go for it. That's not wrong. And if you're not that person, that's okay too. Because the Lord wants to hear from you. Jesus came, died on a cross, a sinner's death, when he himself did not sin, so that he could be reconciled to you. It would be really weird if he went through all that and then said, but you know, you just don't use the right words. If Can you imagine God in heaven let me backtrack a little bit. There are some who believe that um, if you claim something, it's yours or not yours. It works in the both. Uh, so if it's something good, you claim it, you have it. If it's bad, don't claim it. Don't. It's Give the ticket back. It's not yours. That somehow it's all up to you and what you say. Can you imagine the Lord 
you meeting him at the end of your life and standing before him, him saying things like, you know, I wanted to give you this, but you just used the wrong words. You know, you said the instead of the, and I didn't like that. And, you know, you had cancer because you kept saying you have cancer. And I wanted to, I wanted to heal you of it, but you kept saying that. As though the power is in you and not in the God who created you. Do you see the backwards theology in that? How God is not fully represented in that? How that contradicts the word of God? There are people in the Bible who were healed who didn't even come. They just come to the Lord for something. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to heal you of this. And they're like, whoa, I didn't even come for that. That wasn't the purpose of me coming to you. But like, I didn't even know you were Jesus. I was blind. I didn't know who you were. And Jesus heals him. My point is this. It's not all up to you. Your prayer life, even if it's suffering today, even that's not up to you. Pray to the Lord. Lord, help me. Help me to pray better. Help me to pray more. Help me to find joy in that. Help me to, to come to you in a way where I'm not just babbling on and on. Or I'm not just saying things because I feel if I say them, then they'll be heard. But help me to come to you as a friend. Help me to come to you as my Lord. Help me to come to you as the one who died to give me this privilege. Help me in my prayer. Because I'm losing heart. And I'm wanting to give up. And I've been praying for years and maybe even decades for things to change. And nothing seemingly is changing. Help me to not lose heart for the day where you finally open up the prison door so that I get to step out of it. Help me to not lose heart until that day. Maybe you want to give up today. That's okay. Giving up is actually okay if you give up to the Lord. Throw up the white flag to the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender. I'm done doing this my way. I'm done trying to devise my own scheme or plan. I'm done with everything, Lord. I surrender to you and your will. And you might go another five, ten years with this particular problem you have, but I guarantee you, you will draw closer to the Lord in that time than any other time. The Bible says, I believe it's in Hebrews, maybe I'm wrong, but that Jesus learned, diso Jesus learned obedience, rather, not disobedience, learned obedience through his suffering. That the trials weren't meant to take him down. They were meant to exemplify God the Father to everybody else. And God still does that in you today. So before Pastor Ben comes up to say something, I want to pray for you. And I'm sure that Ben and Jen and anybody else who would like to would love to pray for you too. Because human nature is to give up, right? But the Bible tells us not to. Because we have Jesus. Ben, go ahead and come on up. I don't know using. Hey, church. Um, I promise not to take too long. The um, As I was back there listening to Tony preach and whatnot, the Lord just kind of brought me up here to just share something with you. I... Um, naturally lean towards depression um yeah i'm recently just diagnosed with severe and honestly when i came to the lord i was kind of taught that prayer happens and the lord responds and 
what ended up happening with me was that sometimes the Lord didn't respond. And it wasn't necessarily be for any other reason other than maybe there was just something else to be done. And it was never about the interaction that I have to give prayer and then the Lord will bring something back. It was it, it became something of a crutch for me. And with my depression, I lost heart because what I was feeling was depression. I was feeling sadness and sorrow and grief, and there was nothing changing that in my prayer. And um, I ended up losing heart, and it wasn't a pretty season, to say the least. It was only a couple of years ago. Uh, my wife can attest to it. I ended up backing off um, from prayer altogether. So I'm serving in a church, um, playing guitar, I'm counseling, and I'm not praying. It was not pretty. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I The counseling sessions were dry. Um, the guitar became monotonous. And there was a moment that broke for me. I don't know if you guys are familiar with St. Francis. And there was a movie they made back in the 70s called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. Um, I think – I don't mean to be whatever, but Donovan did the track. It was very hippie-ish. But it was very good. No offense if you're hippie. I'm just not one. Never have been. Never will be. Anyway, I digress. Uh, but there was a thing about St. Francis where he was brought up as a, in a life of privilege. His father sold garments back then, and he was very rich. He was very well off. He would never want for anything. But there was a point where he went off to war, almost died, came back, and everything changed. He saw the world differently, and he realized that there was more. And what ended up happening was he forsake his life. He 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 let go of everything. He gave away all of his father's belongings and ended up being kicked out of his home. And he ended up leaving his village. And what you see through the movie in the life of St. Francis is that prayer and fellowship became his everything. And it wasn't that he did pray and he didn't pray, but it was that as he and his brothers were walking, they were singing and giving praise to God. As they were um as they were in the wilderness, they were seeing the beauty of the Lord around them and they were ministering to lepers through it all. It was, it was showing us that he didn't lose heart and that in everything that he did, it was a prayer. It was fellowship with the Lord. And then something kind of changed in me where I, I realized that, you know, I'm not a great prayer person. I, I'm kind of, you know, I, I kind of guard myself sometimes and things aren't great. But then I realized that Practicing the presence of the Lord in prayer is life, and that whether we're dealing with customers or whether we're dealing with grandchildren or whether we're dealing with our parents or whether we're, you know, shipping boxes, I don't – the presence of the Lord is with you in the prayer, whether it's folding your hands, closing your eyes, or just in that moment, knowing the Lord is with you is always there. So hopefully that helped. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Um, our instinct as been kind of shared our instinct once we start grow, going dry or losing heart is to back off from prayer um, and that's like saying I'm having a friendship with this person our, our relationship suffering I'm gonna stop hanging out with them that doesn't make the relationship grow that makes the divide even deeper and so what, I, what I'm here to tell you today and what the Lord is here to share with you is don't lose heart and if you don't want and if you are losing heart pray go back to the Lord Tell him that you've lost heart. The Lord already knows. But simply confessing that and 
taking that burden off yourself will be incredibly freeing and bring you back to a place where you enjoy a relationship with the Lord rather than just kind of tolerate it. You just kind of know that it's there and you're not really experiencing things like freedom and liberty and the grace of God. So let's stand. We're going to pray. I do believe, I said earlier that in our vision night, I not a lot of you know fireworks type of thing where you know we're going to go take on the world. I do believe one of the the reoccurring th themes that I see in our our upcoming year is um, the need to pray. And whether that's together or individually, whether that's just a couple of us or the whole church, um, the need to pray is growing ever more important. And so here at the chapel, we're just going to keep praying until Jesus comes back. Amen. Jesus, we love you. And our hope um, is that you would take us from this place of losing heart and bring us back to a place where we are full of you, where, where our relationship with you has grown um, not just naturally but supernaturally, that as we have given ourselves to you in your presence, that we indeed experience things like your word coming alive to us, hearing your voice, that still small voice, and being led by the Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't just see um, a relationship grow, but we'd actually see prayers answered. For over a thousand days, millions of people around this world prayed for a man they'd never met named Saeed Abedini, and for a thousand days, the answer was no. And then one night, things changed. And now we rejoice at the answering of your prayer, Lord. But I thank you that over these last thousand or so days, that every time we came to you with this, this plight of Pastor Saeed, you know, was an opportunity to hear from you, to be strengthened by you, to, to be reminded that you are good, that your timing is, is completely different than ours sometimes, that you can do things with our trials that we never could. And the trials are not indicative of us doing anything wrong. We live in a fallen, broken world that comes with tragedy, that comes with trial. People get cancer. Babies die. We lose jobs. We lose homes. But your word tells us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. That we were purchased and redeemed by the blood of your very loved Son. That today we stand in your presence, not because we're so good, but because Jesus is so good. That he intercedes for us now, in spite of our sin, to bring us to repentance. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you that your grace convicts us. It gives us that chance to say, you know what, we were wrong. Lord, I pray that if we have lost heart today, that we would repent of that. Like the widow, we wouldn't badger you that we would see this broken, fallen analogy and see that you're a God who brings answers speedily. Or I should say justice speedily. I pray, Lord, you'd give us a heart for justice. And I pray that when you return, you would indeed find faith. That you would find the faith of these people here in this church. Not because we're big and strong and not because we can withstand anything, but because we have communed with you. 
that when you return, you would find the faith that you had deposited in us. And that we would just rejoice. I pray, Lord, for the long term, but I pray for the immediate, Lord, as we leave here today, that you would increase our faith and help our prayer life. If it's suffering, Lord, then help us. If it's grown stale, Lord, refresh us. The fire's gone, reignite us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.